before there was Bo, Brett, or even Barry, there was Pat. Live from the Park Bank ESPN Madison Studios, you're listening to The Pat Richter Show with Jim Rutledge and former Wisconsin Athletic Director Pat Richter. No Jim Rutledge today. You're stuck with me, Pat. Alex Grove, your cousin sub of the day from the Park Bank ESPN Madison Studios. This is the Pat Richter Show with former Wisconsin Athletic Director Pat Richter on 100.5 ESPN, the ESPN app, and Wisconsin On Demand, brought to you in part by our friends at Simden Chevrolet. Jim talks about it all the time, a better buying experience at Simden Chevrolet in Mount Horeb. They helped them upgrade to a big tough guy truck and he does look kind of tough rolling around in that thing no i think he might need a step stool to get into it nonetheless he does look cool in his awesome new truck from simden chevrolet in mount horeb go see dan and company in mount horeb for a better buying experience pat uh certainly an interesting week in wisconsin sports over the course of the last week a lot of ups the packers win big on sunday night football which we'll get into here later in the show the Ryder cup up in Kohler was a big success, the huge win by Team USA. And a uh, little bit of negative news, Wisconsin loses in Chicago to Notre Dame when it looked like they really could have won that game in the fourth quarter and ended up losing by a bunch of points. So uh, kind of up and down all over the place, but let's start with Bucky, Pat. Not not a fun loss in Chicago. No, you're kind of being a little bit kind, so a little bit of a hiccup, you kind of said, <laughs> but uh, it was a, lot, a big disappointment, I think, based on everything we've heard. Now, that, that you got to take that with a grain of salt, I guess, as we've fairly found out, but everybody, kind of the pundits and everybody else that uh, said that Wisconsin was a five-point favorite, and, uh, and but yet, if you watch Notre Dame play, they... They stumbled against some of the poorer teams, but they also had some big-time uh, playmakers, and uh, and they got a good, good defensive uh, group. And so, you know, I, I thought we would have some difficulty holding them down with respect to any of the long pass upfield, and that was, you know, reasonably modest. I think it would have been a really a, maybe a different ball game mentally from a standpoint of uh, momentum if uh, Nelson would have hung on to that first uh, pass that yeah. was uh, – in his hands and could have been intercepted. You know, it's, a, it's amazing how many times you see the guy, not just in the college ranks, but in the pros, that the guys get the balls in their hand and, and can't hang on to it. I mean, it's just either it's a shock to get it like that, but, uh, you know, that might have made a big difference in the game. But as bad as he, he played offensively, uh, probably as good as be around the defense, uh, defensive side of the ball. I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen a game or heard of a game where you held a team to three three yards rushing and uh, and lose the game. I mean that's just amazing. And so, you know, they they went out. They came right out right after the bat and started started to throw the ball. I think uh, you know that was probably right up Cone's alley. I think that uh, Brian Kelly probably said, "Well, we'll give you a chance to to blossom and be a star in this competition against Mertz and uh, let you go ahead." And he seemed to have reasonably good uh, a period of time. He only sacked a few times, but. Uh, they just uh, really played kind of a ho-ho-hum game, both sides, until the, 
the run back on the kickoff, and that uh, you can't underestimate the momentum killer that is. I mean, oh, right. here we go uh, up by what three, four points with a touchdown, and then, and then all of a sudden, 13 seconds later, you're you're down three or four points, and so that was really a disappointment. And then we just got into a catch-up mode, and, and either got a little bit uh, happy feet, as they call it, and throwing the ball in the wrong places. I mean, I I know I was watching the game and. Uh, and when that pass went to the flat, I just hollered, no, no, don't throw it. You can just see the guy picking it up. And uh, he was just kind of poaching in a little bit and knew he was you know, there for the interception. And that those two pick sixes were killers. So the, the game it wasn't nearly as bad as the score indicated, but certainly we did collapse in the fourth quarter. Yeah, and I don't think that the box score really indicated that, that, no. or indicated that it was worse than it was. I mean, four interceptions for Graham Mertz and obviously the two pick sixes which you referenced, I'm not going to sit here and act like he was absolutely horrendous. Obviously, four four interceptions is inexcusable, but there's still work to be done, and I think Graham Mertz is still up for the challenge, Pat, but certainly not not the best day at the office for him. No, and I think, you know, you're right. He certainly wasn't to blame for the whole thing. I mean, I think we had difficulty getting getting open. Uh, I don't know, the receivers just didn't seem to be running crisp uh, routes and things like that i mean they obviously spent a little more attention watching for ferguson but uh you know if you look at the averages in terms of the uh the season you know he hasn't really been downfield that much i mean he's been i don't know most of the passes he's caught have been under 10 yards or 15 yards and uh and you know you when that happens you gotta i, I made a point of watching the game in terms of uh, passing situations, see if I could tell the difference in terms of his demeanor or his pass routes. And it's no question that he puts a little bit more emphasis and speed in there, but they just couldn't shake it. I mean, uh, any, any receivers just didn't uh, get open, give him a chance to make a clean throw. And, uh, and then when he did make a throw, it was kind of hurried and it was maybe not the best decision or location to go. And uh, when you start doing that, you know that if the running game is not working and you got to go with a passing tack, put you one-dimensional and they can just sit back there and tee off and come at you, and that's what they did. Although the line held up fairly well in that regard in terms of sacks or hurries, but uh, you want to make sure the running game is working. And I think that's one of the things that seems to be most of the discussion is, is, is uh, whether the offense is stale or whether you can't just run the ball like that. I think it's... Mm-hmm. That's probably a little bit too simplistic to say that, you know, you just get to sit back there and you can't run it, then you have to throw the ball. And I think the line has been not necessarily exposed because I think we've probably overestimated that, that uh, how good they're going to be. It's still a young group, and uh, and I think that uh, the real test will be this week against Michigan to see whether or not they can bounce back, knowing full well what they went through last weekend. How you respond is uh, certainly a part of the game. This is the Pat Richter Show on ESPN Madison. Alex Strofe alongside former Wisconsin Athletic Director Pat Richter. And, and yes, bouncing back, as I mentioned, very, very important to see how they respond to this adversity now with a 1-2 and two start. And we talked about it before the season a bit, Pat. These first three weeks were really going to set the tone and tell you what this Wisconsin team was made of, and they fall to Penn State and Notre Dame respectively, which, in my opinion, are probably the two toughest games that they have on their schedule all year. So uh, hopefully it's up from here, right? Yeah, and I think both looking back on both the games, both are winnable games. Absolutely. could have had a chance to win those and be uh, undefeated at this point in time. I think the one thing it does uh, point up and people are keep an eye on is that 
you know, we're losing games. Uh, lost a game that was in a uh, conference, not not our conference. You know, the Penn State game, and and even if you had stubbed your toe against Michigan, they're not in our our division either. And so you still got everything in front of you. And so I think some of this is that uh, we've got a, a young team. I I don't think that they had a lot of. Uh, prep work in terms of, you know, we really didn't need a bye week, I don't think. I think if when you have your druthers, you want to keep playing because you want to just give the guys more opportunity to get under game conditions, and we just didn't have that. Not that he's an excuse, but you could tell that Notre Dame had been there, done that uh, pretty much, uh, you know, over the whole whole fall and didn't have any time off. I mean, I sometimes you want to you know, get a bye, but I think you'd rather have it later in the season when guys are a little bit tired and worn out. And so, but you know, the uh, you give them credit that they were they made an adjustment on the uh, Notre Dame made an adjustment on the kickoff. They had been using a sideline return. And so we kept kicking towards the sideline, kind of pinning them down. When you do that, you kind of have the guys on the right-hand side kind of crowd a little bit more, and they kind of crash a little bit. And when they made the center field return, and he stepped out, and you've got to run the risk of you know blocking behind the at the backs and things like that, getting penalties. But when he stepped out, that collapsing line of defenders really just kind of disappeared and. Uh, and they went in so far thinking it was going to be a sideline return when it was a midfield return. Uh, he had a lot of open space and just outran everybody. And so that was just a killer. I mean, 13 seconds and you're you're down when you had such a big momentum uh, grab and uh, to get to that point and then to have that happen. Uh, it's very difficult to happen that's, uh, mentally. It's just not something you're prepared for. Totally, and it'll be interesting to see, as we mentioned, to see how the Badgers bounce back this Saturday as they play host to Michigan, and it's Barry Day at Camp Randall on Saturday. Will you be there, Pat? We'll be there, yeah. Awesome. We'll be there, hopefully for a victory. Hopefully for a victory and a big one in the Big Ten. But I do want to move on, Pat, to a different thing in college athletics. Uh, earlier today, the National Labor Relations Board General Counsel Jennifer Abruzzo uh, issued a memorandum to all field offices uh, providing updated guidance regarding her position that players at academic institutions uh, are employees. So uh, from the release here, quote, players at academic institutions perform services for institutions in return for compensation and subject to their control. Thus, the broad language of uh, a certain memorandum, the policies underlining uh, the National Labor Relations Act, board law, and the common law fully support the conclusion that certain players at academic institutions are statutory employees. So what do you take from this, Pat? You you know a lot more about this stuff than I do. I just said a lot of big words, and I don't even know what half of them mean. Break yeah, this down for I me. What does I'm it mean? I'm not totally surprised, but I think it just kind of points up the fact that two people could look at something and come out with different answers. I mean, the previous decision before indicated that the Northwestern University uh, – players were not able to uh, make a connection to be a, 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 a work relationship and conditions of employment. And so they turned that down. And so now with a new uh, political setup and whatever, for whatever reason, and I think some of that has to do with the uh, the things that have been going on. In other words, the transferability uh, portal, the, uh, the nil question about name, image, likeness, all those kinds of things, and uh, and I even pointed out in the, in the clip that I saw, 
they're pointing up the conditions of employment, which they put into social justice uh, issues as falling into that category. So I think that some of the things that have happened have kind of tilted it more towards a, a kind of a traditional working relationship, which some would still disagree with, but it's certainly going to make it just much more difficult. And, uh, and I think that we're, now they have a lot of freedom with the nil and the things like this to come up and uh, say that you can be able to negotiate uh, for conditions of employment. Maybe you'd have to get cards. You'd have to see if you get a union representative. You can imagine there's an awful lot of people today that are scurrying to say, let's set up a, an organization that represents student-athletes and to, and to bargain uh, for them with the, the schools. And it's one of the things where it's just traditional. You have to come out, commit cards, and uh, and see how many people are willing to uh, to be represented, and whether they'll do that in total in terms of the NCAA, or whether they'll do it in by conference, or whether they do it by individual schools it remains to be seen. But it just sure. does. Uh, if we as if we didn't think we had enough issues to deal with with the NCAA, or they thought they had to deal with, now all of a sudden this uh, ruling of the National Labor Relations Board probably really threw them for a loop, and so it'll be very interesting to see what happens. It it is going to be very interesting to see how this plays out, but Pat, overall, the the landscape of college sports has changed so drastically, obviously, since you've left Wisconsin, but especially it feels, I don't know, in the last 18 months, we're we're talking about conference alignments and alliances, and we're talking about the new NLI rules, and now you have this from the NLRB. I mean, it, it is just crazy how the college landscape for athletics is drastically changing every day, it seems. What do you make of, of all the changes? I mean, most of them, it seems like, are good and warranted and make a lot of sense, but, but some of them, you know, it's, it's, it's certainly changing with the times. What do, you, what do you make of everything that's happened in the last, I don't know, 12 to 18 months? Well, it certainly has happened quickly because uh, all these things, to take an institution like the NCAA over the many years up to this point in time, it really was pretty stagnant and pretty rigid in what they do and didn't, uh, you know, the whole thing with these special benefits and things like this and the NCAA violations have been really kind of very much uh, kind of a hard thing to crack. And now all of a sudden to have these things happen, and I think that uh, probably one of the major pushes in here, which it wasn't, I just mentioned it, but it's not something that everybody just jumps on in terms of uh, easily understood with respect to working conditions and whatever, and that means the social justice issues. And so so you saw many athletes involved in terms of uh, protesting or they had they had uh, slogans on their jerseys and things like this. Many of them did that, and so that was one. She, the Jennifer Abruzzo, the general counsel, chose to mention that in her, her kind of release with respect to that. So you can see where they, they're, they're coming from. And so that is going to be a, a really a can of worms in terms of how do you set the tempo in terms of what sure. uh, things are adjustable from a social justice standpoint, equality, uh, social media, uh, just everything. There's going to be an awful lot of things there, and they're going to be set up a very, kind of, I would guess, a very bureaucracy in terms of how you're going to manage that, both institutionally and on a national basis. But uh, everybody's going to be rushing to give you the first uh, one at the at the doorstep to open up the doors for uh, unionization. Whether or not Northwestern will do that, whether they've got the appetite based on the last discussion that they had, it didn't work, uh, be remains to be seen. But certainly they've they're probably ahead of the game for most people, and I don't know that 
I've not heard of anybody that's mentioned that they saw this coming. And so, uh, but it's just another whack at the NCAA bureaucracy, and uh, I'm not sure how many more they can take without uh, without something crumbling. And you, if you've referenced it before, Pat, but do do you think there will be a point within? I don't know what the timeline is, but do you think there will be a point where the NCAA will no longer be the governing body for college athletics? Well, I think that's certainly a possibility. I think with all the conferences aligning and getting the mergers and uh, and uh, kind of shifting conferences and things like this, like Texas and Oklahoma did, I, I think that it be, they come become less relevant all the time. And whether or not it is a for an enforcement situation or not, I think they become a little bit irrelevant as well because now with name, image, likeness, there's an awful lot of things that can be done that have opened the door to Pandora's box, so to speak, with respect to uh, getting uh, benefits and and uh, financial uh, wherewithal to the uh, athletes. And it's all under the, uh, the guides of uh, NIL, name, image, likeness, and they become appropriate things to consider and do. And so it's just a question now of sorting out what all the people in that space are going to be doing in terms of trying to get an advantage in terms of uh, signing athletes and things like that. And now they know that but they've got a little bit more protection with regards to uh, not having to worry about maybe health issues or rules in terms of practice and things like this. Those can all be negotiated. I mean, okay, we're going to say we had 20 hours of practice maximum before with the NCAA rules. I think we should make that 16, and we're going to negotiate that. And the only thing about it is what what is it possibly – usually there's a quid pro quo. If you're going to negotiate something good for the student-athletes, what is it the school can get in return? Sure. I mean, I, that's, that's kind of a, a hollow promise, so to speak. There's an awful, right. awful lot, nothing economically they can get, and whether they just get a happy group, that's about the only thing they can hope for. Well, we're running way late for a break, but absolutely fascinating stuff there, Pat. Appreciate the insight. He's former Wisconsin Athletic Director Pat Richter. I'm Alex Struff. This is the Pat Richter Show on 100.5 ESPN, the ESPN app, and Wisconsin On Demand. The Packers get a big win on Sunday night. We'll detail it next. On the air, on demand, on social, on Wisconsin sports. Serving Wisconsin sports fans. This is 100.5 ESPN. No gym this week on the Pat Richter Show. I'm Alex Stroh filling in, but it is indeed brought to you in part by J&K Security Solutions. If you need to protect your home or business, there is only one call to make, and that call is to J&K Security Solutions. At J&K, they work hard to protect the things that matter most in your life. For more information, call 255-5799 or visit jksecurity.com. That's jksecurity.com. Alex Struff alongside former Wisconsin Athletic Director Pat Richter, who gave some fascinating insight last segment into the NCAA, uh, a new memorandum that came out from the NLRB talking about how some college athletes should be considered employees. If you missed any of that conversation, head over to Wisconsin On Demand, where the Pat Richter Show is posted each Wednesday, or catch the rerun Saturday morning here on 100.5 ESPN. Pat, uh, speaking of big wins, the Green Bay Packers got one on Sunday. Aaron Rodgers, man, I mean, you can't give that guy any time on the clock, can you? I'll tell you what, I that was most incredible. I, I 
I didn't think it could happen that way. And I think certainly they thought it through in terms of where it is. But you're on a 25-yard line, and they had that they were prepared for it. And because you know, you always say when they get down to the end with no timeouts, they're going to play on the perimeter and play defense, and so they're going to force you into yeah. into the inside and keep the clock moving. But I don't think they expected to see what happened uh, that happened in terms of being able to find an opening there for 25 chunk yards, as Aaron Aaron called it, and then just the incomplete pass, which he kind of uh, beat up himself on that one because he missed the throw, and then the other one with the hit right in space with uh, Devontae Adams. Adams was well enough in tune to what was going on. He put the ball down, didn't didn't throw it to the official. Whoever just put it right down, so they didn't have any trouble spotting the ball. And then uh, the spike with, with three, two or three seconds left. And the way he did that, we spiked it. I mean, he jumped off like it was already a done deal. Right. I mean, it was exciting to see it happen. He was excited, and uh, you know, I mean, to have that kind of confidence in a Mason Crosby. With uh, 51 yards, I think is is incredible, and that uh, he just seemed to know that it was going to happen that way. But he, to see him as excited as that, I mean, you've got to think that if you things continued like this and they got momentum and the excitement and enthusiasm, you know, there's more and more chance the opportunity for the next year or whatever because he you can see that you can see the growth in the team. I think that's what he what he really talked about is seeing the growth. Especially when he up and you know, talking with the line with three guys that were just basically rookies right. hadn't really started much, and they filled filled in very very uh, acceptably and and I think the main thing that uh, was done it just seemed like there was a much more enthusiasm. Everybody had a little bit more of a jump on their step. Uh, the defense had a really good push and uh, put a little bit of pressure on the, on the quarterback and. Uh, and I think that they just uh, really played so exceptionally well. I mean, defensive backs, for the most part, were pretty well tight. Some questionable calls with respect to the oh, refereeing. You know, for the life of me, I can't understand why they don't accept at least the, uh, the college rule where you can review a play when there's a possibility of targeting. I mean, if that wasn't a targeting shot, I don't know what was. Mm-hmm. And that really, it's fortunate that uh, you know I. I, you know, someone else had mentioned this when they went down on the field and they had that camera angle and he, and he was kind of blinking his eyes. He thought, well, maybe that was a concussion, but apparently it was uh, knocked the wind out of him and came right back to uh, to jump in and, and pull the game off and, and get, catch a couple more passes and win the game. And so I, I think that just there was a, a real energies, uh, whether it happened came from the, the assistant coaches or Joe Barry or whatever it was, it just seemed like they they knew what they were doing much more, and I think Stokes adds an element of uh, excitement to the defensive backfield. I know that he had a couple of uh, calls against them, but uh, I think that uh, you always like what they say is make errors of commission, not omission. Right. Or just if you're being aggressive and playing hard and things like that, we can always accept that. But if you're going to take it easy and you do something stupid and you forget about how where you're supposed to be, you know that's something you can't accept. And so uh, it just seems like with some of the guys that are out, uh, there are people stepped up, and uh, especially on the offensive line. And uh, to protect him from a, a team like that with such tremendous pass rushers, I mean, I just hardly believe that there was only, I think, one sack. And, uh, and Jones uh, with the running attack, Kind of goes to show you what you can do when you have a good, solid running attack. And we were talking about that with the Badgers. 
you're certainly not going to compare our guys to Aaron Jones. But the fact is, is being successful and making the right calls, getting through the line of scrimmage and getting some yardage, that opens up everything else. And so that really worked out well. They had a great game plan, and it uh, was uh, good to see that he and uh, Lafleur were on the same page with the two-minute drill. Uh, I don't know we're going to call it maybe an under one minute drill now, a 37 seconds. Yeah, drill. the 37 second drill, yeah. right? Yeah, no. Nobody's it, going to believe that for the look back in the future. Uh, isn't that see just what, whatever happened that game? But he just keeps rewriting the books, and that's what's uh, what's exciting about him. Yeah, that's certainly why he's so fun to watch. I mean, Favre was so mu- fun to watch for other reasons, right? I mean, he was he was so risky. Yeah, he and, was. But you know, with Brett, you always knew he was either a risk reward. You know, right, you go right. for a home run, and the next thing you know, he. You get a bunt single that goes awry. And so uh, it was always exciting. It made everything interesting, but I think we're past that now. We want to be, make sure you good, solid goal games that you can, you can win going away. Well, and you know, you you referenced some of the things we were talking about with the Badgers and how that translates to the Packers. I think another another thing that we didn't mention was was responding to adversity, right? I mean, two weeks ago, Pat, we were having the conversation on this show that many people thought that Aaron Rodgers just flat out didn't care, and obviously that was not the case on Sunday night as Mason Crosby boots that fifty-one yarder for the win, and Rodgers is jumping up and down on the sideline like a little kid on Christmas morning. I mean, it yeah, was very it, entertaining. You know, if if they wouldn't have uh, gone through, you can just see the tremendous disappointment that would have ensued with yeah. the Packers. I mean, that would have been devastating. And uh, to get all that way, to, to have that happen, and for whatever reason, not make it. I mean, that's, that's not a chip shot. It's not an easy thing to do, especially with the pressure on there. And I've often thought, you know, they try to ice the, the kicker. They try to call timeout and make him nervous. To my way of thinking, I think the best thing, I always thought, well, if I had the opportunity to make the call, I would wait and wait and wait and not call timeout because the anticipation of the kicker is probably more so he's going to call timeout, so why should I get too excited about this? Well, if you don't, and the play has to come off, I think it puts more pressure on the on the kicker than anything. And so uh, that didn't have to happen that way, but uh, it seemed like today, uh, that Sunday was uh, the, the kind of the, the day of the kicker with a 66-yarder, because I happened to be playing around the time that Tom Dempsey had a 62-yarder, but that was with a fell at a half a foot and right. uh, he had a big kind of a square-toed uh, boot on him or whatever. It was. Everybody thought that was kind of had a little bit asterisk on it. But certainly the pressure ones, no matter what the distance, on when they're game-winning situations are very very much a part of the, the special team's mantra. And I think that we've got one of the best and always have had one of the best at Mason Crosby. No doubt about it. And you mentioned Tom Dempsey, so I do want to ask take away that asterisk because I think that's BS. I, I had a I had a Tom Dempsey football card as a kid, Pat, and I thought that was the coolest crap ever when I learned that he only had half a foot and was as good as he was. So Yeah, well when he when he hit that thing you could hear it all over the whole stadium. It was like a thump. Really? And, well because he had the, the right. kick half the foot you just he had a bigger kicking surface, not just the toes right and the shoe, but a bigger higher surface because it was right in the middle of the foot and uh but even even at that, the 60 yards is still pretty impressive. No doubt about it. And, and Pat, obviously, you were a defensive guy when you played. Uh, so when you look at this Packers defense, they kind of let the 49ers cut through them like a knife through butter that last drive that ended up leading to the, the Aaron Rodgers game-winning drive uh, with 37 seconds left. But when you're watching that thing and you see the defense for Green Bay pretty much collapse, what are you thinking? Are you thinking that this one's over, but they do have Aaron Rodgers? Well, I, I have to correct you one thing. I'm not a defensive guy, put it that way. 
you may be thinking of Pat <laughs> Fisher, but uh, but I was strictly offense. But I, I think I agree with you in terms of, you know, it hadn't even dawned to me. I, I figured if this was a, uh, a drive that was going to call cause the game to be lost, rather than the fact of saying, you know, well, if this score faster, we can get the ball quicker. I mean, certainly that was among some of the things that they were thinking of. And I think if Shanahan had a chance to do it over again, he probably would have slow milked it a little bit and and slow played the game and uh, taking his time to get down there and uh, and not but you know the fullback Jurisic I think his name was he's been the Pro Bowl a number of times I mean all he's thinking about is end zone and there were, and I don't think uh, in some cases the guys kind of open the gates and let them in because that's the only chance you've got to win in this case uh, you know they 37 seconds I would guess. If the guy's really had a lie detector test on him, I would say probably, you know, 70% of them would probably say, I don't think we can do it with no timeouts, 37 <laughs> seconds, starting from a 25-yard line. And we've got to get probably to the, uh, you know, the 36, 35-yard line with seven yards uh, back. It could be a 41-yard, kicking from the 41-yard line and plus a 10 in the end zone. I, I would guess that as much as the guys would like to say that, oh, I knew he was going to do it, that's pretty doggone difficult. And uh, I think that most of them were so, that's why they're so excited. I think that rather than just sit back and say, well, he's going to make it, no pre- problem, and just be really uh, kind of calm about it, you can see Roger's reaction when it finally happened. And, and all you can think of is just if it didn't happen, how devastating a loss that would have been just when they thought they had a chance to win it and uh, the kick doesn't make it through the upright. So so that's the fun part about it. And I think that uh, you just don't know, but you expect that this would carry an awful long ways with the momentum just to pull off a game like that on the coast. The difficulty they've had with winning uh, at San Francisco in the past and against that defensive line. I mean, Bosa, Armistead, uh, the guys are just beasts in there and the young group did a great job and so you can't underestimate the fact that they're going to be really charged up and excited and be an important game against the Steelers to get that running game going as well. Super Bowl 45 rematch and after further review Pat all 14 of your touchdowns in the NFL did occur on offense so my bad yeah, I'd like that. to say they were interceptions and I ran back for touchdowns. That'd be, that'd be, a, happen. That'd be pretty cool but wide receivers I mean and tight end yeah. just, just as cool. This is the Pat Richter Show on 100.5 ESPN, the ESPN app, and Wisconsin on the man. We'll play Sounds of the Week next. Varsity, the best of the Badgers on Wisconsin on demand. Since 93, I've never taken a field against anyone not thinking we had a legitimate chance to win. Subscribe to the Varsity Podcast, brought to you by Metro Ford on Wisconsin on demand and wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. It's the Pat Richter Show, 100.5 ESPN, the ESPN app, and Wisconsin On Demand. Alex Strofe alongside former Wisconsin Athletic Director Pat Richter. The Pat Richter Show brought to you in part by Oak Park Place. Oak Park Place offers seniors and their loved ones peace of mind. Find the right balance of the care you need centered around your lifestyle. Move to a community with neighbors that become like family. Enjoy the comforts of your apartment with an abundance of events just outside your door. Choose the fit that is right for you, from independent living to assisted living, memory care, and short-term rehab. Oak Park Place, with locations on Madison's east side in the Nacoba neighborhood, Janesville, and Baraboo. Visit their website, oakparkplace.com, to learn more. That's oakparkplace.com. 
Time now for Sounds of the Week. These are the Sounds of the Week on the Pat Richter Show. Brought to you by Simden Chevrolet in Mount Horeb. You're only minutes away from a better buying experience. Well, Pat, uh, I'm actually going to play you a clip from Paul Christ, and I think he was listening to you earlier on the Pat Richter Show because he said something you did. Here is Paul Christ. You know, it is a team sport, right? And 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 to put you know put it all on on Graham, that would be wrong, right? To um, you know, I think there's a lot of areas where. We just need to be better if we're going to give ourselves a chance. Plenty of blame to go around, and it's wrong to just put it on Graham Mertz. you agree? Yeah, I would agree with that. We had a situation where Lombardi uh, always talked about motivating and things like this, and one of the things he talked about was professionalism. In other words, that everybody on the team, he didn't, t- he didn't talk about teams, he didn't talk about Redskins, he didn't talk about football, he just talked in general about professionalism. And if everybody... You know, saw what they were, they, they had their books, they looked what they supposed to do under certain circumstances, and if everybody was doing the same thing that they were supposed to do and be, the enterprise would be successful, and you'd go on to great rewards. However, if there was somebody among you that uh, was sloppy and careless and didn't follow the directions or do what they're supposed to do under certain circumstances, the enterprise would fail, and, and therefore he was talking about a professionalism that didn't just cover about athletics, it covered everything, whether you were police and fire, if you make a mistake and people come to you for advice and counsel because you're at the highest level of your profession, you can't afford to make those mistakes, and it's a very powerful message, and that's what Paul's talking about on a sure. different level, but the fact is, everybody, we don't know, somebody might have missed a block in there, somebody might have, you know, tipped something off, you just don't know what happened, we see what happened to Graham Mertz. But it could be a lot of other things that go into that as well. No doubt about it. Well said. Next, uh, from Keyshawn J. Will and Max, the morning show here on ESPN Radio. Talked about Aaron Rodgers this morning, did Max Kellerman and Keyshawn Johnson, and about needing or having external motivation. Take a listen to this. Athletes sometimes need that need that motivation. They have it internally, the great ones, but also it looks to me, guys, like Aaron Rodgers is looking for external motivation. It's the team. It's the people in the media. It's who he's looking for naysayers. But see, I don't think he needs the extra motivation. What happens, and I've been in this position, I can only speak to my experience, is you get people running a damn mouth that don't know what the hell they're talking about. Always wanting to be in the mix is saying stuff that's not factually true and so what happens is as a player you say to yourself all right i got that in my hip pocket when i go out here torch these dudes i'm gonna make sure to let everybody know i'm still that dude i love Keyshawn johnson are you team max or team Keyshawn there absolutely i think he hit it right on the head and and aaron kind of alluded to that this this week i think on a, on a show he was on and so he, and I think whether he was pointing at Adam Schefter or whatever, I mean, or Keith on Johnson was pointing at Max Kellerman on this, on this morning show. Who knows what that was all about? But he's right. He's just tired of doing things that people like make second guessing, and that's why the bloggers and people like that, people that have never stepped on the field, make these comments and 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 they get legs to them and they take off and then they get misconstrued and and they get a kind of build up and a kind of a, a, a kind of a momentum gets going and then, so I think that he's looking at this, these external factors in terms of making them look bad maybe because of maybe a point spread maybe the questions that they had well they with, with 
the uh, Packers can't uh, hold up against this deep, powerful defensive line of the 49ers. You know, the 49ers got uh, Kittle, they've got some receivers, they can't hold up to that. Proving them wrong at every step, and, and I think that's why he gets so excited about the fact because it's just another one where he's situation where they've kind of you know under underestimated. Now, how you can underestimate Aaron Jones or uh, Aaron Rodgers, I don't know. But the fact is, is that he's doing things that people don't even uh, can understand, let alone uh, expect. And I think that uh, Keyshawn Johnson was, was right on the money in that one. Totally, and and it seems like Aaron really does push the envelope when it comes to. Speaking about media coverage, a lot of athletes don't do that uh, in this day and age, even though they do see a lot of it with social media in the in-betweens. But uh, Aaron Rodgers again on media. Here's Aaron. I think the media is only the only people that talk about letdowns. We don't, you know, we we keep the preparation very similar, keep the focus tight. Um, we don't think about letdowns or anything. Uh, that's all media media chatter. They don't talk about letdowns in, in the locker room. Is is that true? Is that always the case when you played and coached and AD'd? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're not going to be at the top of your game every week, but it could be have other conditions in terms of why that's happening, whether it has to do with physical or you're not feeling well or whatever. And uh, that's why sometimes you you hear people talk about the fact that, gee, I wasn't feeling very good today and had an outstanding game. I mean, it happened a number of times when I played where you didn't feel very good. Maybe you reached back for something that you didn't uh, didn't expect was there, and you got it, and it gave you the momentum or energy to go ahead and, and be much more effective in that play. But I think that what he's talking about as well is that, is that the things that were said during the off season, many of those, I mean, he may have, it kind of sparked a match or whatever it is, but uh, they t- went far, much farther than it should have gone just to make uh, the thing be uh, newsworthy or at least titillating enough for people to look at it. And I think that the height of that was the, the situation with it came up when they talked about something that had been out on the uh, known for weeks or maybe in months, but it came out just at the time of the draft because they were looking for ratings and things like this. And so I think that uh, it's good to hear that happen because many times I've uh, talked to people saying, well, we weren't ready to play. Uh, they're not trying. I mean, this just makes it too simple in terms of making say that. It's easy to come out, but it's hard to understand. And I get into some arguments with my wife about that whole thing, saying, you know, you just don't understand the dynamics here, what's going on. And, and the other thing about you, forget about the guy on the other side across from you, he wants to knock your head off as well. And so it's not like you're out there in a vacuum and saying, well, gee, how come you just didn't do this and whatever. There's another guy trying to prevent you from doing that. So it's it's much more complicated than sometimes we let on to be. I completely agree with that, Pat. We will talk some Brewers next. There's actually some news that came out, but we're going to save it for the other side of the break because uh, it's going to have a loud reaction, I feel like. This is the Pat Richter Show on 100.5 ESPN, the ESPN app, and Wisconsin On Demand. Varsity, the best of the Badgers on Wisconsin On Demand. Does Jim Leonard have anything? I was thinking like the turnover teddy bear. We're good, thanks. (laughs) Subscribe to the Varsity Podcast, brought to you by Metro Ford on Wisconsin On Demand and wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Pat Richter Show on 100.5 ESPN, the ESPN app, and Wisconsin on demand. No Jim Rutledge today. I'm Alex Strofin, hanging out with former Wisconsin Athletic Director Pat Richter. And, and Pat, I teased it before the break. I don't know if you've seen this. 
But I want to talk some Milwaukee Brewers, and I don't want to talk about the Cardinals. who have won 17 straight, a franchise record. The Brewers can't seem to beat them right now, but the Brewers did clinch the NL Central over the weekend. Now, news just coming out, breaking news here on ESPN Madison, brought to you by Metro Kia of Madison, that Devin Williams, the relief pitcher, has been placed on the 10-day IL with a fractured right hand we're going to hear some audio here quickly from Devin Williams on how it happened. And, Pat, I want to get your reaction. Here's Devin Williams. So after our celebration, I uh, went out to uh, have a few drinks. And on my way home, um, you know, I was a little frustrated, upset, and um, I punched a wall. So that's, that's how it happened. He punched a wall, Pat. He fractured his pitching hand, and he needs surgery ahead of the playoffs. Oh, I tell you what, it's, if it isn't one thing, it's another. I mean, I, I you, this this has happened several times, different types of situation, but it's happened before. Guys doing that either out of frustration or excitement or enthusiasm do something, and they just don't think that they can. It really will happen to them. And uh, just at the time you think that you'll do something crazy like this, and all of a sudden you'll break a bone. And uh, and and I think from his perspective, certainly he feels badly about it. But I mean, these things that sometimes can become game changers and, and career changers. And uh, Dizzy Dean hurting his toe was one of the guys that really paid the price for it. And uh, so, you know, as Williams is doing as well as he had been, and I don't know, I guess why why he was uh, unhappy. Apparently, he said he was at celebrating, but then right. uh, then they didn't really was apparently something bothered him about it. The swing that hit the wall. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've done enough patching up of walls and things like this with uh, <laughs> drywall and things like this. That that's that's not something you want to swing at. I mean, if you have a hit in the stud, you're really going to break yourself up. But did you mention he was only a ten day? Uh, yeah, he was placed on the, on the. Yeah, you're correct. He was placed on the ten day IL with a fractured right hand, but he it says he will need surgery. This is from Adam McCalvey uh, of MLB.com. So I'm unsure how long he'll actually be out, but if he needs surgery, that makes me think it's going to be longer than 10 days. But regardless, Pat, I had a friend in high school who during you know a, a varsity basketball game in which he didn't get into the game, he punched a locker and broke his hand. I don't see MLB pitchers doing this after winning the division and clinching the two-seed in their conference. This is yeah, ridiculous. I don't see why he was upset. I can't recall the game, whether he didn't do very well in terms of the relief spot or whatever, but certainly he had an awful lot to be proud of and the things that he did in the season, but that... You know, it's you have to say that they're young, the kids do things like this, but certainly uh, you see enough of it around that as much as it might happen, it happens over and over again, different types of things, whether it's something that somebody says on social media or whether or not they, they do something that uh, is not in the best interest of the team. You say, well, how can I be doing that? It just seems awful stupid. Well, this one perhaps is the most stupid of all because, you know, you've got something going, and the effect of this, not just forget about the fans for a second. Just think about the teammates and everybody else and how he's feeling about letting them down. And the fact is, is that that's exactly what happened. I mean, everybody's kind of waiting and taking things easy, getting a little rest, getting ready to go in the playoffs and things like this. I mean, I like to think that it's going to be a 10-day deal, but when you, anytime you're doing surgery, it just seems to me that there's much more to it than that, unless it's some particular 
you know, push not on the fingers or whatever, but you think it's going to be a knuckle or something like that. I broke a knuckle one time in, in, in football, and you know, there's certain things you can do, certain things you can't do. You can't get like shake hands would be a difficult thing. Throwing a baseball, maybe not so much. So hopefully that's the case because certainly we need him in times like that. Gut reaction, Pat. We have about two minutes left, but gut reaction with this news coming out. How much does this hurt the Brewers' chances come October? Well, I would think it's big time. I think certainly the Cardinals, uh, we didn't want to talk about them, but they look to be very, very strong and uh, perhaps peaking at the right time. And I think that we've seen where uh, Boxberger and Hayter and uh, and Williams have been a great uh, threesome in there. You have to put Suter in there now. Certainly nobody's effective. You hate to lose somebody as rookie of the year. And uh, I think it's going to make it very, very difficult because you kind of set up a good six innings of the, uh, the uh, starting pitcher and then those three guys coming in, it's, uh, it's very difficult to overcome that. Just, uh, that's an unbelievable story. This is not April, it is the end of September, and this is, I am blown away. That is a crazy piece of news right there. But nonetheless, the Brewers in the playoffs, they are the two seed, automatic bid to the NLDS. Uh, so that is that is good, uh, aside from the Devin Williams news, now on the 10-day IL. Pat, always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks so much for the time. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Thanks for sitting in. No problem. Anytime. That's former Wisconsin Athletic Director Pat Richter joining us here on the Pat Richter Show. Again, if you missed any of the episode, you can go back and catch it on Wisconsin On Demand, wisconsinondemand.com, the Wisconsin On Demand app, or just search Pat Richter wherever you get your podcast. Scalzo and Brust coming up next.